Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 28th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. You surviving the cold weather? Barely. Um, haven't had to go outside too much, so it's manageable, and... If you talk to somebody from further north than Missouri, this is nothing. So, seems like we've had a fairly mild winter. Like, it's cold right now, but I feel like it really hasn't been that bad overall. When it doesn't, as long as it doesn't stretch for like three or four days in a row, I can deal with it. When the highs get up around freezing and the sun comes out during the day, not a big deal. Yeah, and uh, just makes for good football and basketball watching weather Mm -hmm. uh from your couch yeah really it's a good inside weather yeah (laughs) (laughs) um we finally get to talk about a mizzou win today uh it's been a long time coming but first we got a few news items we'll jump into that um mizzou football has several people that have been invited to the nfl combine we talked about this uh, a little bit earlier with Terry Beckner Jr. and Drew Locke, the obvious choices, or two of the more obvious choices, but uh, Paul Adams, Kendall Blanton, and Emmanuel Hall j- will join them, uh, most likely, at the NFL Combine. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is really exciting, and it's pretty sure by far the most uh, athlete that Mizzou has ever sent to the Combine in one year. Um, and so obviously that speaks to Mizzou's success on the football field this year. Um, had some really talented guys playing for him, some some talented seniors. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch those guys at the Combine. Um, only guy I can think of that didn't get an invite that maybe could have was Crockett, mm-hmm. um, but not really surprised by that, considering I didn't really think most of those guys would get an invite anyway. Right. So. Yeah, I think when we when it's all said and done and we're looking at this group of players, we – I think it'll be one of those situations where we look back and go, how did this team never, how did this group of guys never win 10 games? How did they, mm-hmm. how were they never really in the mix for the SEC East or anything like that? Yeah. And it's a good point. And I think a lot of it for one probably had to do with Emmanuel Hall being hurt all season. And speaking of Emmanuel Hall being hurt, he dropped out of the um, senior, senior bowl, bowl yeah. apparently. So uh, another kind of just frustrating moment for him, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, kind of like Kendall Blanton, like he just, he looks the part, he mm-hmm. looks amazing and he's so massive and athletic and apparently he's really wowed some of the scouts that have already seen him this off season. It's kind of like one of those things where it's like, he really didn't do a whole lot at Mizzou and right. you wonder how is he going to be able to produce at the next level? But I mean, just, I guess it depends on how he's used, but definitely if he ends up having a productive NFL career, it'd always be a little bit of a head scratcher why he wasn't Mm -hmm. able to maybe do more at mizzou uh speaking of the senior bowl drew Locke has been making some headlines uh for his um impressive practices and uh interviews as well i saw twitter kind of a buzz over his uh some highlights from his practice uh one deep ball in particular that got everybody talking and then some funny and insightful things he had to say at the interviews i guess he's been He's come across incredibly relaxed and confident and just really easy to talk to in all of the press conferences and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why I never take um, 
like mock drafts that seriously, especially ones that happen like this early in the game, is because a lot of the reasons why prospects are drafted where they are in the draft is because of things that have not even happened yet or are happening now. Right. So, you know, obviously Drew Locke has a chance to show off, you know, his personality and some of these pressers. And um, I think this is like a fantastic opportunity for him to separate himself from some of these other prospects who might be younger or may, might not have the media experience that he has. And um, yeah, I've kind of, I've taken a, a few tweets here that I, that I saw. Um, and just like you said, it seems like he's absolutely just killing it. And uh, so um, Pete Thamel from, I think he's from Yahoo Sports, um, said that uh, if the NFL is looking for the star of a multi-billion dollar franchise in terms of charisma, Drew Locke fits that comfortably. Um, He said that no one else helped themselves more at the Senior Bowl press conference than Locke did. Uh, there was another guy, um, his last name, I'm going to have a trouble pronouncing it, but his name Let's is hear it. Ryan Koenigsberg. Shout out to Ryan. Ryan, thank you. Uh, he said, I'm blown away by the way Drew Locke is carrying himself in this presser. He's an absolute natural up there, not thrown off by anything, beaming with confidence, naturally funny, nothing sounds forced, he's perfect. From this standpoint, he's ready to be the face of a franchise. So uh, that's obviously some pretty confident takes about Drew Locke and his leadership ability and I think we saw that kind of come on in his last couple of years at Mizzou but an additional uh, presser I saw he was kind of talking about facing adversity and mm-hmm. obviously faced a lot of it early in his time at Mizzou so I just think that he kind of has some experience leading people through adversity that maybe some of these other guys can't talk about so a lot of things make him very uh, attractive I think and he's done a really good job um, it's like a job interview. He's just been a right. really, really good job at, at kind of highlighting why I'm different and why I'm better than some of these guys in a very natural and relaxed way. My favorite story that came out of the Senior Bowl interviews or press conferences was when a reporter mentioned that his uh, legs were an underrated part of his game, and mm-hmm. Drew Locke like, shot him a finger gun and winked at him mm-hmm. mid-question. Yeah. And everybody seemed to love that, and there's video of it out now. So yeah, it's a nice uh, reaction gif that hopefully will be used for years to come. I'm sure. Yeah. So definitely, uh, good news on Drew there, and um, still a really long way to go. But um, and not only out, not only just like the way he's been handling himself in the press conferences, but um, kind of that what you mentioned. He, he's some people have really been um, beaming about his his play, like in some of the, the practices and stuff. He's been making some uh, some really nice throws and we know he can throw the deep ball so we've seen some nice video of him throwing the deep ball uh, mm-hmm. very accurately and in poor conditions so um so far this has been a massive win for drew lock to go to this go to the uh senior bowl and that game will be um this saturday the 26th at 1 30 central time on nfl network if you have that and want to watch yeah i'll have to check that out for sure um last bit of mizzou football news missouri put wide receiver barrett banister on scholarship so good for him he made a few catches this year and showed that he deserved to be on the field a little bit so they gave him a scholarship yeah that was really cool um honestly i feel like it's pretty surprising what he was able to do considering he came in as a walk-on so i feel like a lot of guys especially in the pinkle years um if you were a freshman there was a pretty good chance you were gonna redshirt even Mm -hmm. as a scholarship player Barrett Bannister just comes in here as a walk-on 
and gets on the field and makes some really meaningful catches on third down in this year and everything. So um, not only does he does he not redshirt, but he doesn't redshirt as a walk on, and so and I think he definitely uh, earns that scholarship for sure. And then some more football news not related to Mizzou. The Kansas City Chiefs, I don't know if you've heard of that football team. They've been in the news recently, uh, played a pretty big game last weekend. They fired their defensive coordinator, and they have now hired, uh, just moments before we started recording this, uh, I forget his name. Steve Spagnolo. Yep. He used to be the head coach of the St. Louis Rams uh, when they were still in Missouri, and... <coughs> I feel like guided them to a few six wins or less seasons. <laughs> yeah, the Rams weren't very good when they when he had. Uh, I might be actually there. overstating that. It may have been like four wins. Yeah, his, the Rams were really best. bad, and some people just aren't meant to be head coaches mm-hmm. and are fantastic coordinators. I hope that's more so the case uh, with Spagnolo uh, in Kansas City, but definitely it was time for Bob Sutton to move on. Um, so I don't think anybody was too disappointed about them letting him go. seems like a good guy, good coach, but probably just maybe I think that he kind of just favored some of the old, the older veteran players over maybe some promising newcomers. And so we ended up just having like a really slow defense at times. And, uh, I seemed like he was kind of unwilling to adjust the game plan at times. So, um, maybe get somebody a little younger, a little more energy and, uh, maybe a little more flexibility to to switch things up if, if something's not working out. So I, I've i seen a little bit of grumbling on Twitter about this hire, but I don't really see how it can be any worse at this point. And I think he'll want to r- run a 4-3 defense, which I think will will be better for the Chiefs personnel at this time. So We'll see. Couldn't get much worse. P- probably not. I mean, And honestly, it's a pretty attractive job. I mean, you've got right. this fantastic offense where you probably don't have to be perfect on defense right. and you get the job done if the chiefs have even a okay defense they're going to the super bowl so yeah and, and nobody's expecting you know nobody's expecting them to become a top five defense exactly in one off season so he's got some wiggle room mm-hmm. uh last bit of news i have is on the mizzou basketball side former tiger jordan barnett who was in the uh, milwaukee bucks organization in their g league affiliate uh, he has been traded to the the affiliate of the Indiana Pacers, uh, which, if you haven't heard, is my favorite NBA team. So he is now a Mad Ant. (laughs) He plays for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants alongside Alizé Johnson, former Missouri State Bear. Yeah, that's uh, good for Jordan. I was just watching, like, a highlight video uh, recently of his senior year at Mizzou, and, like, he was so good at times. He He was so good at shooting the three and just so athletic. So Mm -hmm. I miss seeing him play. Hopefully he and Alize will make a good one-two punch in Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's all the news I have. Um, I think we will move on to talking about some Mizzou basketball. Missouri played two games last week, one against Texas A&M, one against Arkansas last night. So Texas A&M game, um, that was really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. They, I don't think they've beaten a team in conference like that in – what three years probably well, definitely not on the road right for on the sure road especially yeah. uh yeah i didn't really think that missouri was going to win that game i mean texas a&m isn't really anything special but it's just so difficult to win i'd like to point out I, I predicted missouri to you win did. So you did you are uh, a savant 10 points to me 10 points to cameron uh yeah texas a&m just looked 
completely disinterested. Uninterested? Disinterested. Both. Both. They looked <laughs> not interested in this game whatsoever. Yeah, and this is not a terrible Texas A&M team. They played much worse against Missouri than they actually are as a team. Um, they just turned the ball over like crazy. I mean, the stuff that I talked about in the preview of like what would need to happen for Missouri to win, that happened to an extreme degree. Like TJ Starks played one of his worst games of his career at Texas A&M. I mean, Savion Flagg, who was coming off a big game, only had five points. So when those two combined for eight points on uh, 12 shots, I mean... Yeah, it, it just, like, not only were they not, like, playing very hard or with much passion, but they just, like, missed every shot. Yeah. And just nothing was going in. Just weren't getting good looks. And um, Missouri played well. Jordan Geist... <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Sound oh, like a. What did that sound like? Sound like I, don't a, know, I was trying to hold it in so bad. <laughs> <laughs> sound like a like a video game effect noise yeah. or something. <laughs> you zoom tight, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Missouri played well, though. Jordan Geist kind of found his offensive game that he's had been missing for a little while. He was four of five from three, and five rebounds and five assists. So. He was back to his non-conference self, which is definitely something we talked about being important for them uh, in conference season if they're going to win some games. But throughout the game, Missouri just took advantage of every mistake that Texas A&M made, and basically it was over at halftime. Yeah. Yeah, Tillman was seemed like himself again as well. Kind of just like at this point, like every single game that we talk about is going to be, was Tillman himself or right. was Tillman... Yeah, the, the foul Timon. Well, at this point, which one is is truly himself? Because he seems like he's pretty even. Right. Um, but yeah, it's the, a coin it was flip, the, good, the good or bad Tillman. Right. So we yeah, got he the played good one. Twenty seven minutes, so he was out there, and and I think it was kind of interesting that Conzo let him play out the game basically. Um, when it was out of reach, he just, I think that twenty seven minutes played is a little bit inflated because they weren't meaningful minutes, all of them, so. I mean, it's still good that he was out there for a good portion of the game. Uh, Kevin Perrier, decent game offensively. And they just shot the ball well. I mean, this is one of their best games shooting from two at 53%. So when they do that and then keep up their normal 40%-ish three-point shooting, they're just they're going to win a lot of games. And to do it on the road is really impressive. And like I said, Texas A&M Texas is not bad per se. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to be towards the bottom of the SEC, but that's they're not anything near as bad as Missouri was the last few years under Cam Anderson. So, no. so obviously one big takeaway from this game was uh, 18 minutes of Ronnie Suggs and no Xavier Pinson. What is your takeaway of that madness? Um, yeah, that's been a really popular question on Twitter. I think it's hilarious that uh, I, maybe I shouldn't say this. Apologies if you're one of these people, but <laughs> there was lots of people that tweeted at uh, Gabe Diarmond and Dave Matter saying like, "What? Where's Pinson?" And mm -hmm. they would just be like, uh, "On the bench." Like, I don't know. I'm not well, in the huddle. <laughs> yeah. What do you want me to say? Conzo uh, doesn't want him out there. Yeah. So I am kind of in the same boat where if that's what the coach thinks needs to be done, I will support him because uh, there was rumors that Coach Martin wasn't too terribly happy with Pinson's defensive effort. 
And we know that's something that is very important to him. So mm-hmm. um, if he needs to send that message and play Ronnie Suggs, so be it. I don't like the fact that Ronnie Suggs is basically no threat whatsoever on offense. And when he and um, KJ Santos are on the floor at the same time, it's kind of scary because they're just going to look to pass every single time they touch the ball. Um, Santos has some ability to score. We know that. Um, But it seems like they don't really get Santos in catch and shoot three situations very often, which is where I tend to think he could be most effective at this point in his career. So when those two are out there at the same time, it's kind of scary. If Suggs is out there with um, Geist and Pickett and Mark Smith and Tillman, then I, I think they can make that work. But we just didn't see that very often. And, and it's just, it's pretty obvious when he's on the floor that he's not going to do anything on offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my takeaway in the Penton thing is it's pretty clear that um, he's got something about his game is not up to Conso's standard right now, whether it, it might be. Um, maybe a little bit of carelessness with the ball, or maybe he's not playing defense to the standard that Konzo would like to see, uh, or maybe both. Something is not up to standard right now. Uh, so it, we kind of saw this a little bit with Blake Henson last year, and I think... Blake Harris. What did I just you, say? You wish you had Blake Henson. Blake Henson? That was so <laughs> random. Uh, Blake Harris uh, last year where... Um, we feel I feel like we saw him play quite a bit early on and then kind of fell off a little bit and then obviously he transfers so obviously everyone's getting like ptsd a little bit and they're (laughs) afraid that uh that penson's going to transfer but you know i think he kind of silenced hopefully the silence those rumors with some of his tweets assuring that he's he's not leaving but i i think he's giving uh penson a good opportunity to to rise above some adversity here and toughen up a little bit and it's just realizing okay so I've, i've got these parts of my game to fix and this is how i need to do it Right, and something with Blake Harris is we never saw Konzo actually just sit him for an entire game. Right. Um, he would have an incredibly short leash with him, and when he would just get loose with the ball, or uh, and like kind of like what you said, I don't we don't really know what the reasoning is. Uh, we can assume that it's something to do with defensive intensity and looseness with the ball. So when we saw that from Blake Harris, he would just get pulled from the game and only play. He would start and then only play 18 minutes or something like that, and Geist would come in and play point guard the rest of the game. So I think maybe this is a better approach, although we were never going to be in that situation with Geist being the day one starter. Since Geist was the day one starter, it wasn't like Penson was going to start at any point. So um, that's a little bit different. But, yeah, I saw his tweet about threatening to get a – tiger tattoo to show his loyalty yeah to show his loyalty which is kind of cool yeah um what did you think about tillman uh there was a kind of some tweets that surfaced about some of the sec referees in this game talking to tillman specifically about his foul trouble and apparently one of them commented on the fact that he had got his first foul you know whatever like 10 minutes into the second half so and Tillman repeated those stories jokingly like laughing about it that it didn't seem to him like there was any problem with it but some people on Twitter maybe we shouldn't give them a voice but they were expressing their displeasure at the refs you know being cognizant of the foul situation with him right 
at this point, I don't think that it's a pri- it should su- should surprise anyone. I mean, these refs are SEC refs. They ref they ref the same fourteen teams all conference season. They talk to each other. They know. They're aware of everything that's going on in the league. I don't think that it should be surprising to you that they are aware. However, it is a little bit weird. I think maybe that he was like that open with like that that phenomenon because it's probably a sore subject for Tillman and it's probably a sore subject for for Mizzou fans honestly but right I think it might be worse for uh, uh, based on this situation seems like it's worse for the fans than it is actually for Tillman right as far as joking about it and stuff I don't think that it's a big deal or anything but I honestly think it's really interesting like just that they were having like a like a conversation with him throughout the game and i'm sure that's fairly common uh but maybe not to the extent that they're literally it's almost like they're counseling him through the entire game right there was another tweet that said like work with me i'll work with you yeah like it's like, just so we'll bizarre get through this yeah <laughs> it'll be okay well i hope we have those refs every game then because <laughs> it sounds like they're really working to they're willing to work with them and yeah other refs are just like oh we touched somebody it's sober mm. so i don't know yeah it's almost like it's so strange that we're in this position, but it's almost like these refs need to come at it with like an open-minded approach and just like work with him and realize that I don't know if the reputation he's has is fully earned, and I don't know. Yeah, it's really I mean, bizarre. I think now that this has persisted so far into his sophomore season, this is going to be something that we talk about his entire career at Missouri. Right. Um, so. At the beginning of this year, we thought, you know, just let him put his freshman year behind him, turn over a new leaf, and everything will get better. Obviously, that didn't happen, so um, it's going to be there. So if the fact that refs are commenting on it, I mean, if they're doing it in this fashion and Tillman's fine with it, although I could see a situation where he's – but a ref who has common sense is not going to say something like that in a game when he's in like a really heated moment yeah when he just committed his fifth foul in right 12 minutes or something like that he's not gonna be like oh fouled out again and then <laughs> get going pissed off or something i don't see that happening so as yeah. long as it's always on this end everything should be fine and yeah i, I honestly just don't think i've ever seen anything like this in my life yeah just so crazy um so tillman played 27 minutes in the arkansas game as well he also committed five fouls, so I don't think we had the same refs. Um, and one thing I do want to mention, though, I was kind of comparing and contrasting these two games. Obviously, Missouri uh, lost to Arkansas, sixty-two to or sorry, seventy-two to sixty. Um, the refs were about equal as far as their consistency on on calling fouls. But one thing that really uh, stuck out to me was the announcing in both of these games. I saw complaints on Twitter from both of the Texas A&M game and the Arkansas game. I like Pat Bradley um, calling SEC games. I watched him call a game earlier in the season, and he's fun and seems like he's really intelligent and knows a lot about a lot about the game. Whoever the color commentator was in this Arkansas game, holy cow. <laughs> it was some of the worst I've ever heard. I'll be honest. I feel like... Uh... A lot of fans are like connoisseurs almost of like broadcasting (laughs) and I'll be completely honest I don't really notice it that much unless it's bad Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just kind of like two guys talking about the game it's just kind of whatever to me 
but when it's bad you really notice it yeah. and it's a really like a true deterrent of like the watching the game right and i've got a little uh, little little good news bad news for you guys oh yeah the good news is uh i enjoyed watching missouri state uh pummel loyola chicago who went to the final four uh last year in person last night they literally saw that score. they won 70 to 35 it was a great game <laughs> the bad news is well maybe it's bad news is i was uh, unable to watch the Mizzou Arkansas basketball game. So before I go into too much uh, analysis of this game, you should keep that in mind that I didn't actually watch much of the game, uh, and I did not hear the commentator. But I saw so much complaining, <laughs> widespread complaining on every Mizzou uh, channel of communication uh, about the color commentator. Well, the only reason I took note of Pat Bradley is I actually is he has like a Boston-ish accent, northeastern accent that is uncommon in sec broadcasts so that stuck out to me and then they talked about him playing for arkansas so i just looked him up a little bit but i have enjoyed both the games that i've heard him call but i i don't even know who this other guy was i had never heard him before i think i would have recognized him because he had a very distinct voice um if i were to describe it it would be like an older person doing a bad Patrick Mahomes impersonation. Oh my! That's what he sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty bad. And he also just repeated himself over and over. It, I I know this is easy for me to say as a uh, Mizzou homer, but it sure seemed like he wanted Arkansas to win this game. And there was specifically at the very end of the first half. Um, he was just begging Arkansas to get the ball, get that shot off before the buzzer expired. And in a way that like a fan would say it, not like, oh, you wish well for both teams to like execute well. So it's a good game. It was like, oh, shoot it. Like, come on, get the shot off before halftime. And then he was really happy when Gafford tipped it, tipped the miss in right as the buzzer went off. So that like clued me into like, what, what is going on here? Besides the fact that it was just awful announcing. I really need to go back and find some game clips so I can, so I can get a taste of this, this yeah. commentating, but it, you, you, it won't take very long to, okay, get, to well, get the picture. I will ask you this. Who was a worse color commentator? The guy from the Arkansas game last night or the Mizzou Purdue football game of earlier this year? <laughs> Worse was definitely this basketball announcer in the Arkansas game because the uh, Big Ten network guy in the Purdue game had us laughing out loud. Now, maybe if we had all been together watching this Arkansas game, we'd be laughing at him as well. Um, but it, it also helps that Mizzou won the Purdue game. So it was True. all's well that ends well. But True. I mean, that guy was hilarious, some of the stuff he, he would say. He made some really yeah, hilarious mistakes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, Emmanuel so, Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay, one more question about your broadcasting uh, critiques. Uh, critiques. Uh -huh. uh, what did you think about Andy Kennedy calling the Mizzou-South Carolina it. game? You liked that? Loved it. Yeah, yeah I thought, I thought he was job. fantastic. I would take him or Pat Bradley in every game the yeah. rest of the way. I don't, I don't No more Jimmy Dykes. I know he's yeah. – I know a lot of people like him, but – He's kind of whatever for me, but yeah, I'd probably... He, I've said it before. He gets too in the weeds on some, like, you know, just shooting techniques like fundamental and stuff. Type and, stuff yeah. and it's not that he gets into it. He, like, needs to show this, like, diagram and, like, they need to show... They show him in front of a whiteboard and then with, like, props and then, oh, well, <laughs> let's show him interacting with the players, like, diagramming stuff. I'm just like, oh, okay, that's too much. Like, uh, you're just a broadcaster. Yeah, I just don't like how he's just kind of old school. It bothers me sometimes. Okay, well, anyways, I thought that was uh, that was 
pretty interesting though. But yes, yeah, so I a, think most people were in agreement with you on the color commentation from last night. All right, so no more uh, broadcasting corner with Cameron. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Arkansas game, Missouri jumped out to a big lead, but they were not playing well. Um, if you look at the box score or the trends and stuff like that, they were up 17 to four at one point. They were up 12 to two before that. But just watching the game, you could tell the only reason this is happening is because Arkansas can't make a basket. I mean, Missouri's defense was okay. They were kind of forcing the guards to, to beat them, forcing them to shoot threes. And Arkansas was willingly shooting a ton of threes, bad shots. So that was great. But Missouri's offense was never never looked like they were just in control. They never looked like they were, you know, firing on all cylinders like we've seen earlier this year. So it was in my mind it was just a matter of time before Arkansas caught up. And when Missouri started throwing the ball all over the court, turning it over every other possession for a while, Arkansas just stormed right back into the game. Did Arkansas press the whole game? No. Um they Early, they couldn't because they were missing so many shots. They had to get back in transition. Yeah, it's a good strategy Um, is not let them score. (laughs) Right. Um, But off a made basket, they started doing it pretty heavily. And that wasn't even – it didn't even seem like the press affected Missouri that much. It was just like some lazy passes and just weird – I don't know. It just brought back memories of like – of previous games where they had huge turnover issues, mm-hmm. but just, and I think the part of the problem is I, I was rewatching the Texas A&M game today and I could see the exact same passes being made in the Texas A&M game. And A&M was just a, a full step or two behind where the Arkansas players were on those same type of plays. Mm-hmm. So they're making these passes that, were totally fine in the Texas A&M game. You would never think twice about them. Those same exact passes were getting intercepted and taken the other way for a layup over and over again against Arkansas. And I think part of that is just not being prepared for it, which kind of goes on the coaching staff a little bit. You know, you should be able to look at the Texas A&M game and be like, this stuff is not going to fly against Arkansas at their place. But even if they, the coaches may have done that. I know Conzo ran the players extra to try to get them ready for the pace of the Arkansas game. So yeah. if if the players aren't just focused on that, every single pass has to be crisp and on target, then it doesn't matter how much you prepare them for it or tell them that it's coming. Yeah. Well, we definitely knew that Arkansas is not a good matchup for Mizzou uh, with the way they force turnovers and play really aggressive with quick guards and everything. So we knew that coming into the game. That's why I'm not surprised whatsoever by the turnover issues. But now I saw today that Missouri is sub 300 in Kim Palm, like turnover efficiency and everything. So uh, I think they they literally committed turnovers on like one of and three of their possessions every three yep. possessions they were committing one turnover which is horrendous yeah uh and the only game that they've committed more turnovers this year was against iowa state and that was like a record-breaking amount of turnovers mm-hmm. too so um i'm not really sure why this team is so i prone think it was to like 35 percent against yeah. iowa state yeah 35 ish against iowa state and i think what was it like 31 or something 33.8 wow so I don't know why specifically Missouri is so prone to turnovers. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just because we don't really have any 
we don't have a lot of great experience guard play or I don't really know who's committing all the turnovers last night since I didn't really watch much of the game. But Geist had five, Toman had four, Penson had four. So there's everybody. <laughs> yeah. There's guards, forwards, everybody yep. in the court. So um it's disappointing like seeing how well they started off the game, or at least seemingly well. Um but Arkansas, I mean, closed the game over like a massive run. I mean, if you take the the last 70% of the game, they right. outscored Mizzou by like 30 points probably. Yeah, exactly. So if you break it down into quarters, which Ken Palm does, which I think is kind of interesting, obviously college basketball games are played in two halves, but um, Missouri outscored Arkansas in the first 10 minutes, 17 to 14. And then after that, it was Arkansas by 11, Arkansas by 7, Arkansas by seven in those last three quarters of the game. So, or 10 minute chunks. So it was all Arkansas after that. Um, Missouri had a decent lead, so it it took them a while, it took Arkansas a while to to get right back in it. But once they did, it was just, it was, it was back and forth. But then um, Isaiah Joe, and forgive me, I had never heard of this player before last night. I hadn't heard of like, <laughs> like, almost anyone on their team except for a couple guys yeah obviously we know Gafford I, I knew uh, Jalen Harris um, but Isaiah Joe freshman uh, 6'5 freshman had 23 points on 7 of 12 threes so I mean that's the game right there he went off and Missouri wasn't able to stop him and uh, some of those came late but it was to p- put the game away for Arkansas basically yeah, I turned my phone on to watch kind of the end of the game, and I think Mizzou was down by like two or three points when I turned on my phone, and uh, literally within like 60 seconds of me turning the game on, they went from down two or three to like down 10 or 11. Like that, probably that guy made like yeah. two or three threes in a row. And I was like, well, I've seen enough. Yeah. Um, one thing that I noted that uh, reminded me of the Tennessee game was in this one, Daniel Gafford played – 35 minutes and picked up zero personal fouls which reminded me of um, Kyle Alexander in the Tennessee game where he played incredibly and didn't pick up a single personal foul crazy Both of those games Jeremiah Tillman fouled out and Gafford was flopping so bad it was really frustrating sometimes uh, one of Tillman's fouls came on a pretty blatant Gafford flop and I don't know I just always think less of a guy when he does that except Jordan Geist, I love you, Jordan Geist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so Geist is so good at the little like shoulder shrug whenever somebody's <laughs> on him running down the court. Yeah, he gets called for maybe one of those like well, not he, but his defender gets right. called for one of those maybe like once every single game. And he'll draw a push off every once in a while yeah. where he just like flies thirty feet away from the ball handler. Yeah, we love it if it's our guys, but it's really annoying when it's the other team. I know, and it's most annoying when it's Tillman's defender. Yeah, you know if that was happening to guards or whatever i don't know but it seems like i've always thought it was strange like playing a little bit of basketball growing up nothing too crazy i would never think to like throw myself on the ground to try to get a call <laughs> well you, you didn't want to win bad enough then cameron it's not but i just feel like I, you can't count on getting the call, and then you're leaving a wide open something. Well, if it's Tillman, you know you'll probably get the call. Exactly. And it's like this never-ending cycle. And if cycle. it's worth it, I mean, right. to get F- Tillman into foul trouble is worth giving up a few easy mm-hmm. possessions, easy easy points, easy passes. Yeah, it's like this, this never-ending cycle of 
the player the the opposing teams know that Tillman is a target, so they they flop, and the yeah. refs know that Tillman is a target, so they see somebody flying across the floor, so they call the foul. Exactly. And I don't know. It's just this is a sidebar. Did you see the end of the Tennessee Vanderbilt game? I didn't, but I saw they were in overtime. So um, Grant Williams got a foul called against a Vanderbilt player and it was I believe it was actually called a flagrant for the hook and hold oh and it was a huge flop okay Grant I think Williams I did see that on literally Twitter literally jumped into the air and then just like went sideways and landed okay, on his side yeah, I did see that and but I'm it, assuming it, Tennessee went on to win that oh yeah <laughs> I mean that was that was a very big play in the game sometimes like, uh we expect refs to make the call so quickly and like almost just as soon as they see something like we don't we don't give them any time to like analyze what they've seen and then make the correct call so well, most of the time there isn't time exactly like, so sometimes when you just see a body flying it's just it's just second nature to blow your whistle and call the foul on whoever isn't flying and, and it I, looks like and a lot of times it looks like a foul is happening like you it's hard you can't dif- differentiate when their arms are locked, one guy goes up in the air and then falls down. It's hard to differentiate between an actual foul and a guy flopping there. I get that. It's just really frustrating to watch. And I just wish. I know. I don't. It's not. For me, it's not on the refs. I just wish players wouldn't do it. It seems like <laughs> just I can't watch like a basketball game without getting furious at least like one time. Like, how could you possibly call that? Like, And I feel like I'm pretty like even keeled person. Right. So. I lose my mind at least one time yeah. at these refs who are yeah. just trying to do their job, these poor guys. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely me last night. I uh, yelled a few times. But it, Arkansas just, they did what they needed to do. Um, Mike Anderson was mic'd up for this game, which was kind of fun. And he was really giving it to his players when Missouri went out on this first 10-minute lead and he was telling them like are you are you guys going to show up like this team's playing hard only one team is playing hard and missouri basically just said oh you guys are wanting to play well here have the ball a few times (laughs) because the only way missouri was going to win this game is if arkansas just did not show up at all based on how missouri was playing pulled an a and m well, yeah, missouri actually i feel like played well in a a against a and m the first 10 minutes of this game I, I even texted you when I, I yeah, found out you that you were at the game. I was like, this is not really anything Missouri is doing. Arkansas is just playing awful. The one thing that I wanted to mention was um, Missouri did get a big boost in Ken Palm, and actually their defense got a boost even after the Arkansas game. But after A&M, they jumped from ranked 103 all the way to 76 in Ken Palm. Of course, that was their first conference win, so getting a little boost there. But then against Arkansas, their offense dropped. Their offensive rating dropped to 144, but their defensive rating actually went up to 67. And their total rank stayed about the same. As of right now, they're 79th, according to Ken Baum. So I feel like... It's a roller coaster, man. Yeah. I, I do feel like, though, that around between, I don't know, 65 and 80 is where Missouri's going to hang out. Maybe 65 and 85 is where they're going to be the rest of the season. But I thought it, I 
hadn't seen a jump like that in Ken Palm, and then Missouri State goes out and does what it does and jumps like 40 spots or so. Yeah. But that was a, st- a, a statistical anomaly last yeah, night that I, I that I witnessed. <laughs> uh, Missouri did have some injury issues in the Arkansas game, so Mark Smith probably twisted his ankle right before you uh, mm-hmm. started watching last night. Um, he was on the ground, you know, holding it for quite a while. Um, he needed help getting off the court. I was just glad that he was reaching for his ankle and not his knee because when he was down, it was like if he reaches for his knee this is awful mm-hmm. but um then they showed the replay and he twisted his ankle pretty bad so honestly it wouldn't surprise me if he missed a game just because ankle sprains can take a little while but it also wouldn't surprise me if he was back out there because yeah sometimes you can get over those really quickly and you can play through a little bit of pain with that yeah and didn't, not gonna make it worse didn't Pickett leave the game as well on like a back injury or something yeah apparently he just got hit in the back is what i saw on twitter hmm, so okay. i don't know if it took an elbow weird or something well but i haven't heard anything about either one of those guys today so hopefully they're both going to be back in short order yeah um, pickett re-entered the game after he went out for quite a while okay um so oh, okay. I, he should be good to go um mark smith i don't know if you're going to miss a game or two this wouldn't be a terrible time to do it but uh, that you mentioned the good point off off air earlier was uh that we really need uh to win these you know even one of these two next games we need mark smith to do it but we're probably not going to win even with him so maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing ever to rest him for a week or so get him back to full strength yeah you got anything else about these two games the the texas a&m game was really fun yeah it was just good to see the offense kind of get in a flow and get in a rhythm i we didn't i failed to mention uh, mark smith in this arkansas game he was he had an awesome game six of 11 from three uh, career high 22 points but as far as the offense goes that was basically it I mean Tillman was pretty good nine points on five shots uh, you'd like to see him be more involved uh, he also turned the ball over four times but uh, Mark Smith was amazing I just I just wanted him to keep shooting the ball yeah he's made a really nice transition from his freshman to sophomore year he's really improved his three-point shot which is obviously what he does mainly so we'd like him to be good at that considering he doesn't do a whole lot of driving or anything at least not yet yeah he was the only player from missouri to have a offensive rating over 100 Uh, meanwhile arkansas had one two three four five guys with an offensive rating over 100 so that kind of tells you what was going on with missouri did mark smith play point guard at illinois or did he kind of come off the ball I feel like that was kind of like a topic of discussion is where he would play yeah. when he came to Mizzou. Uh, that's a good question. I feel like um, I feel like he was pretty much in the same role as mm-hmm. he is now. It probably just wasn't as well defined. Yeah, I feel like there was some behind-the-scenes drama that I heard about maybe with his dad or something where he wanted him to play point guard and Underwood didn't want him to. So maybe everybody thought that whenever he came to Mizzou, he would play point guard, but we kind of obviously have guys there so but i thought he's uh, he's done really well in that like coming off the ball role he's obviously shot really really well yeah just looking at uh his statistical profile on kim um he had a much higher turnover rate last year and a slightly higher assist rate um and, and he shot like 20 percent from three yeah 24 percent um and he's improved his two-point shooting this year as well um after a few more games uh, before this, before the next five games are through, he will have made more threes this year than he attempted last year. 
Nice. Um, yeah, he's, it, I would say just looking at his statistical profile without watching, uh, with only watching one Illinois game, I think last year the Bragging Rights game, it looks like he definitely had the ball in his hand quite a bit more um, at Illinois, and so I, I think that's what he wanted. So I don't. Uh, kudos to Conzo for kind of getting him to realize where his where his best fit was. Yeah. Um, it's possible that if he had realize that if he and Underwood had got on the same page with that at Illinois that he would still be there because oh, sure. obviously the ability was there all along. Yeah, just probably the confidence mm-hmm. was was not there. When you're rubbing heads with your uh with your coach, do that's not the phrase. Yeah, they just rubbed heads. Oh my god. <laughs> they rubbed heads we gotta, so much. We gotta edit that out. No, leave it oh in my the god. <laughs> when you were Fra- they had Trent Frazier. When you're butting heads with your coach, it it can put you in a in a dark place. And they had Trent Frazier who is has literally has to have the ball in his hand to be successful. So true. I mean, that's going to be a big difference. If if I kind of wish Missouri had Trent Frazier, but well, I'll stick they, with Jordan guys. They just might. <laughs> Never know. Yeah, the way Illinois players like to move to. They just love to switch teams to Missouri. Yeah. All right. I think now I think that I've covered it all, or not all of it, but everything of note. The highlights. Penson did get. To get to play some in the Arkansas game, but he was not effective. He made a nice three, a really nice play, step yeah, back three. I heard about that kind of a didn't he like shake a guy off and mm-hmm. make the three in his face? Yeah. KJ Sandoz played twenty minutes, had an offensive rating of zero. That doesn't sound very good. No. And uh Javon Pickett only played ten minutes. So Yeah, that's big. He was definitely limited by that whatever happened. Got elbowed in the back or something. Um, I'm glad, I'm really, really glad Missouri picked up one of these two. I think that's they the best we to. could have asked for. I mean, that's the best we could have expected. If you really were expecting Missouri to win two road games in a row, I'm sorry, that probably was never going to happen, but they needed to win one of those because they were looking at potentially starting the conference season 0-7, and... One and six isn't much better, and that, that may be what we have in store for us because the next game is at home against LSU, who has just been absolutely on fire. Um, Missouri lost a really close game to LSU last year, one-point game at, at home. And this year, LSU has just, like I said, been really, really good. They um, All three of their losses has have come to teams in the top 75 of Ken Palm. Uh, Florida State, Oklahoma State, and Houston. They haven't lost at home this year. They're 5-0 and in conference, 15-3 and overall, and they're currently on an eight-game winning streak. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, Tremont Waters uh, comes to mind whenever I think of, uh, when I think of LSU and just a fantastic guard, and then they added, like, a you know, some really talented freshmen as well. So uh, they are loaded uh, with just talent. Yeah. Yeah, they're ranked 26th in Ken Palm right now, uh, the 15th best offense, according to the website, and the 75th best defense. So there's a chance Missouri, being at home, uh, will be able to score a little bit on LSU. However, they are 41st in turnover percentage defense, and they're third in the nation in steal percentage on defense, the LSU Tigers. So nice. watch out. <laughs> watch out for that. Uh, maybe Missouri can... Uh, improve they i i hate to think that they would 
perform as poorly in the turnover margin as they did against Arkansas because mm-hmm. you're just Especially never going to win a game like that. Yeah. yeah. Surely at home they will improve over those numbers. Yeah, I think Missouri could lose this game by double digits and still like improve some of their like metrics, metrics yeah. on Ken Palm. Uh, just because that's how bad they've been at times this year. Because uh, I, I, they probably will lose by double digits in this game. LSU, like you said, is just on a roll right now. <clears throat> Missouri is very average. They actually look like they could contend with Tennessee yeah. uh, for the conference. I, I do think there is a step, a pretty big step between the two teams. But LSU is really looking like they might finish right there at the top. Tennessee's the, had some close games. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've had to squeak a couple out. And LSU... At least, last as few far games. as I'm concerned, have yeah. blown everybody out. Yeah, they did go into overtime at Arkansas, um, so that was a really close one. But other than that, I mean, they destroyed Ole Miss on the road. They beat, uh, they gave South Carolina their only loss of the season so far by uh, 22, and they just beat Georgia at home. Uh, Georgia's pretty bad though. Uh, I don't know this. It just seems like they're, they're, LSU is kind of like the opposite of Missouri. Mm-hmm. They are incredible on their two-point percentage offense. Probably get to the free throw line a lot. Yeah, they're 14th in the country in uh, shooting two-pointers. Um, they they don't get to the free throw line a ton, but uh, obviously more than Missouri does. Most teams do more than Missouri does. But like you said, Tremont Waters has been incredible. He's averaging 14 points per game, six assists, three steals per game. And then uh, they've got two other guys, Skylar Mays and Nas Reed, who are both averaging 13 points per game. And then that's not even to mention, Bigby Williams is one of the best centers in the SEC. Amazing rebounder, one of the best shot blockers in the conference. So even though their defensive metrics aren't outstanding, they have... They're just so disruptive. Yeah. They're very and aggressive. They have very good individual defenders. Uh, Tremont Waters is really one of the best point guards in the SEC. We knew that coming into this season. but yeah. He's probably one of the best players, period. Yeah. And the fact that he's such a good two-way player getting all those steals, um, just, yeah, really yeah, three impressive. Three steals a game, it's a low number, but trust me, that's yeah. a lot <laughs> per game. Uh, yeah. I just don't. This is an even worse matchup for Missouri than I think Arkansas is. Um, the only thing that gives Missouri a shot in this game, I think, is just that they're playing at home within the friendly confines of Mizzou Arena. Uh, but I'm going to predict an LSU win here, and I'm going to predict 76 to 65. Yeah, I think playing at home helps also. Um LSU is just average defending the three, which um, we know if Missouri's going to win. Even in Missouri's losses, they shoot the three pretty well. So if they're going to win, they're going to need to do that. They just got to get shots up, though. I mean, literally probably like 20% of Missouri's possessions on this whole season, they don't even they don't even shoot mm-hmm. because they turn it over so much. Just got to shoot more. Gotta right, shoot producer more. Cameron? Oh, yeah. It's a good strategy. Shoot more. Um... I, oh man, I don't know. I just like predicting Mizzou wins. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did it for A and M, and I picked it. I picked a loss at A and M, and it, uh, it, it worked out well for you. So yeah, maybe uh, do it again. Let me look at the schedule here. How are they going to get to seven wins? That's what I want Missouri to get to. 
I don't think they will. <laughs> I don't think they will either. But I think th- their schedule on, on the backside of the SEC is a little bit, maybe a little bit easier. Well, they have a stretch coming up right after. They have these two games, LSU and Auburn, and then they have Vanderbilt at home, A&M at home, Arkansas at home yeah. with Tennessee on the road squeeze in there forget about that they, one they they really should win three of those four games mm-hmm. they really should win all of those home games i don't know if they'll beat arkansas but they could producer cameron is missouri going to turn the ball over more than 13 times at home against lsu mm, yeah oh my <laughs> gosh i all have right. to agree <laughs> all right lsu is going to win 70 871. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to look up, we were talking about uh, that steals per game. I wanted to see the best steal percentage Phil Pressy ever had. And it looks like his sophomore year, he had the f- 46th best steal percentage in the country. And that was 2012? Yes. Their last year in the SEC? Last year in the Big 12, yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm just out, I'm off my game tonight. Saying some bizarre stuff over here. And Tremont Waters is at 5.3%. Fifth best in the country. So he is. But did he get 19 assists against UCLA? I highly doubt it, considering... They did not play UCLA this year. Well, then he doesn't have that on Phil Pressey. That's true. I love that highlight video. I know. It's a, that was a fun one, even though If you're not lost. doing anything, just uh, search on YouTube, Phil Pressey, 19 assists, and watch all those because it's really fun. All right. We're both predicting a Mizzou loss at home. Then they go on the road to play Auburn. Auburn has been a little bit disappointing probably for some of their fans uh, starting off the season two and three in conference they're 13 and five overall number 17 in Ken Palm so underperforming even compared to their Ken Palm rating I would say uh, 11th on offense 57th on defense last year Missouri lost to Auburn at home 91 to 73 Auburn has had some close games this year against really good teams uh, lost close games to Duke and North Carolina State in the non-conference uh, they have lost their last two SEC games. So they lost to Kentucky at home and then South Carolina on the road. They play Mississippi State on Saturday, so they might have a three-game losing streak uh, before Missouri travels to play them. So do you want the good news about Auburn or the bad news about Auburn first? Give me the bad news. The bad news is Auburn, their rank in the country as far as turnover percentage defense Number one, their rank in the country for block percentage defense, they're number one. (laughs) Their rank in the country for steal percentage defense, they're number four. So that's the bad news. The good news is Austin Wiley is injured. He will most likely not play in the Mizzou game, and they've been a different team without him. just lost to South Carolina, a game they probably should have won. but the, And they have not been turning teams over. They have not been getting a lot of steals in these last couple games against Kentucky and South Carolina. So if that carries over, it won't be as awful as those numbers would make you to believe. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, if Austin Wiley is playing in this game, then I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there's just a random snowstorm in Mizzou uh, in uh, Columbia again, and then they just can't make the trip to Auburn, and they just <laughs> they just don't play the game. <laughs> Reschedule it for next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is just absolutely horrendous matchup for Missouri, and it's going to be a really really frustrating game to watch. I can already, I can assure you of that. It's it's going to be frustrating, and I just don't see any way that it's not because Auburn's really really good and they're well coached and they've got some of the best guards in the SEC and Bryce Brown and Jared Harper and they they make everything mm-hmm. and they're super aggressive and I'm yeah, it's going to be frustrating a, to watch their defense. A prayer for guys. Yeah. Um Missouri's probably going to turn over the ball a lot. Although, like I said, they haven't they've they haven't been forcing as many turnovers in the last couple of games, but they haven't played Missouri in those last couple of games. So, I, I think if they can get by the pressure, there will be some open shots. I think they'll be able to get to the rim, although that's not Missouri's strong suit. So we'll see. But they'll have some open threes, and if they can knock those down, they'll be able to stay competitive for a half. I think, but. I just don't see any way that they're going to be able to hold on to the ball at Auburn. Um, I watched quite a bit of their game against Kentucky, and obviously the, it was a sellout because it was against Kentucky, but um, with as good a team that they have, they'll they'll be up for this game. I think it'll be a good crowd on a Saturday, so uh, it'll be loud, and I think Missouri will likely get rattled. <laughs> <laughs> I will probably have to agree with you there. Um wasn't it at Auburn several years ago in the Kim Anderson era? Wasn't there some weird, awkward, like, confrontations in that game or something? I feel like there was some some beef between some of the teams, between Mizzou and Auburn when they played there. I'm remembering a game where one of the Missouri assistant coaches got heated and was, like, yelling at one of the players, but I think that was against Georgia. Okay, that was that was insane. The like, the almost brawl like yeah. at Georgia. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that was Kim Anderson's last year. Right. That I don't was specifically insane. remember an that's, Auburn. That's situation. not what I was talking about, but that was crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't. I think it was fairly mild. But I'm just trying to think of any storylines in the last few years of us playing at Auburn because I know we didn't last year. Right. Uh, let's see. Auburn really hasn't been very good until really last year or maybe the year before. Well, the year before that. We beat them in the in the SEC tournament, so really they've just been good as of last year. Right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, they were playing in the opening round with Missouri. It was so. like a play-in game. Yeah. yeah. That Kevin Perrier made the mm-hmm. game-winning shot. Yeah, um, Bryce, like you said, Bryce Brown and Jared Harper are really, really good. Brown averages 17 points per game. Harper averages 15 points and six and a half assists. They're both shooting just under 40% from three. I would say Missouri's going to lose something like 83 to 68. That sounds about right. I was going to predict 81 to 65. Which is almost the exact same margin. Yeah. A Shockingly, difference of one. We predicted a similar score. <laughs> we never do that on this podcast. 
Anything else you have about either one of these games against LSU or Auburn? No, uh, it's going to be probably a pretty rough stretch here, and I hope that it's so just I think two we games. Said, I think we said this last week, but just stay with us. <laughs> we get through these two games, and we've got some wins coming up. Yeah. And we get to watch Tennessee play again. That's fun. Yeah. We go to Tennessee. That oh, would yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> just pretend like it's not Missouri playing them, and just pretend like they're just playing somebody else, and it's a fun game because Tennessee's really good. Oh, Tennessee's playing. Let's see. Let's check them out. Do you think this is a little bit random? But do you think Missouri will try to get a, a transfer big guy for next year? No. Okay. They're bringing in Trey Jackson. Yeah. He's kind of a three, four. He probably may play the four quite a bit yeah. since we're kind of weak there. Yeah. But you don't think they will? No. Okay. No, it'll be they'll roll with Toman and Nico and maybe try to play even more small ball. I was reading some articles. Uh, Rock M Nation posted a few things about Missouri's success playing small. And when they play really small with like Perrier and Santos as their big men, it's terrible. <laughs> Don't do oh, that. Yeah. When they have had Toman on the floor with four guards, it has worked with some degree of success in a small sample size. So I think I think that's the way. If they want to play positionless, just keep Tillman out there yeah. and play with four guards. I think they may see what's out there. I think they might yeah, peruse I mean, the market a, if there a was a bit. really good opportunity uh, for like a graduate transfer, and if they don't, I mean, they've still got some offers out to 2019 kids that we True. don't know exactly what's going to happen there. So, I think I don't know anything about recruiting really, but I feel like emotionally, I feel like I want them to like have mm. some kind of grad transfer option because I just feel like we're so horribly thin yeah. in the front court. But I don't know anything about the what the uh, the big plan is. So the big picture plan. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There, I don't either. There's not really a a high school recruit big man. No, on the it have radar. to be a transfer so, yeah. that they get immediate eligibility for a grand tra- grad transfer. Right. Um, but I think that they'll just rely on Tillman and Nico, and just try to. I I don't see Conzo really seeking out very many more players in the mold of. Jeremiah Tillman in the future I think obviously you take Tillman if he wants to come to Mizzou Mm -hmm. absolutely but I just think that they will be geared more towards stretch fours and stretch fives in the future yeah I think you're right well Kyle unless you have anything else I have some questions for you oh I can't wait because we are going to play whatever happened to somebody insert Mizzou player and I think the way I want to do this one is I want to give you one clue because it's hard to beat around the bush with this one I'm gonna give you one clue see if it drags your memory okay this might do it so if you get it off of this one clue congratulations if not then I'll I'll dig a little deeper all right this player for those of you don't know we talk about a player that uh, started their career in Missouri at Missouri but did not finish it there. So this player, while they were a member of a different team, 
beat a Conzo Martin led team in the NCAA tournament? So it would have been have it would had to have been. I don't think Conzo made the tournament when he was at Cal. No, he did. He did. His first year. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I really don't think I followed him all that closely when he was at Tennessee. I know Tennessee made the Sweet 16 one year. Okay. Well, let me take you back a couple years. Okay. This player played in 25 games as a freshman at Missouri, only played in three as a sophomore before transferring, averaged eight minutes per game, three points per game, one and a half rebounds per game. Um, so they transferred after three games into their sophomore season, so they got to play an actual sophomore season at their new school as well as a junior season. Um, I pulled a quote here from when they transferred and they said, this was a tough decision for me, and Missouri will always hold a special place in my heart, but this was about having the opportunity to find a better fit where I could play a larger role on the court. I'm looking forward to my next opportunity and want to fin- want to wish everyone at Mizzou all the best this year. At their new school, this player in their second season at the new school was named Conference Player of the Year. Um, wow, I think I know who it is, but I can't remember his name. <laughs> Maybe I don't know who it is because it wasn't okay. Was it uh, Tremaine Isabel? No, because no. he went to like Duquesne or something, and they wouldn't have beaten. He went to Drexel. Drexel, okay. And then uh, this spo- person spo- did, or no, no, no. It, Isabel went Isabel to Drexel. Did. Now okay. he's a slew. Okay, yeah. Oh boy, I'm not doing so hot on this one. I know our listeners are yelling at you. Yeah, they a few probably of our are. listeners probably, are yelling at you. Everybody probably knows it except <laughs> me at this point. So oh, this is so tough on the spot. Okay, going back to the upsetting, it was an upset over Conzo Martin's four-seeded Cal team in the NCAA tournament. That team. Oh yeah, it was Hawaii. Yeah. Okay, so it was either uh, Nikas Webster Chan or Stefan Yankovic. Which one was conference player of the year at their new school? Stefan Yankovic. He was really good at Hawaii. Yeah. So that Conzo Martin team was a four seed with Cal. I remember that. Jalen Brown. Ivan Rab and Jalen Brown. Yes. Okay. I was going to say, I remember Cal was pretty good one year. And I remember watching Stefan Yankovic, and he was really good at Hawaii. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what? Like, why does this always happen? <laughs> and uh, but you could see the potential. Sure. When he was at Mizzou, like he, he was really athletic, and he had some like really big dunks, and he could shoot the three really well for how big he was. Yeah. He was listed at six eleven. Yeah, uh, I remember watching a few games in person, and he had like a really big dunk in one of the games mm-hmm. I went to. Uh, he's kind of a crowd favorite. But, yeah. Yeah, I wish we could have hung on to him because I think that he probably just needed like a little bit of time to adjust to the college game and um, adapt a little bit, but. Yeah, so he actually didn't play his senior year at Hawaii. He decided to enter his name into the NBA draft. He didn't go. He went undrafted, uh, but then played a little bit in a Serbian professional league, and that's actually where he was born, was Serbia. So he has dual citizenship in Serbia and Canada. Came to Missouri from Canada. Um, I think this may have been a situation where he wanted to accelerate his path to a professional league, and sitting for potentially two entire seasons at Missouri 
and then working his way in as a junior and then probably getting a lot of playing time as a senior just was too slow a pace for him yeah he's probably like not that far off from like <laughs> having a lot more playing time right but, i mean i guess i don't know that for sure so he's transferred to hawaii uh i've already said he was the conference player of the year in his second season there so that was technically his junior year um and yeah he was really impressive and he actually got a, a few a couple looks from nba teams uh, as far as like summer league opportunities preseason games but never really stuck and um, I'm not sure if he's still playing professionally overseas or not, but that's the last I saw of his basketball career. He was in the Serbian Professional League still. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see how he would have developed at Missouri. It was kind of one of those things where it wasn't a, a huge shocker when he and uh, Negus Webster-Chan moved on. Mm -hmm. But Did they move on around the same time? I want to say that Negus Webster-Chan didn't – I, th I want to say he – transferred between his freshman and sophomore year and then stefan played a few games in his sophomore year and then transferred yeah i definitely remember i'm sure listeners will remember that specific dunk i can't remember it was against i, I can uh, like picture it it was a monster dunk and got the crowd fired up it was against a team that was kind of like a mid-major and they ended up only winning by like a couple points and but they had they had like one nba caliber player and he was he had like 30 points against us that game uh oh my gosh bucknell i think bucknell. Is, a, is who it was probably sounds about right he had eight points nope five points against bucknell one of one from two one of one from three Sounds about that right. one was probably a monster jam. What was the guy's name from Bucknell? Do you, are you have that? Are you privy, oh, yeah. privy to that information? Mike Muscala. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, tenth on uh, Ken Palm Player of the Year he list that year. He had a huge game. Yeah, he went pro. Yeah, he did. All right. You got anything else for the folks? Uh, that's it. All right. You guys are you guys are great. Yep. You guys are great, and. If someone wants to hand me over the... Oh, yeah. There you go. You don't the, have this memorized uh, the, by now? The treasure map of where you can find us is on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can tweet us at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, look for our... Tournament of Champions wrap-up episode. It's going to be a short one, but if you're interested on in that, it'll be out soon. It'll probably out right now, so just go listen to it. Uh, we'll see you next week.